0: Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way.
1: Well, this is this is a good looking family, right? You know, we uh, we have uh, this is a Ford family. We, uh, you know, uh, as missionaries, and this church has a long history with missions, even before we came, this church went on mission trips, supported missions, prayed for missionaries, sent out missionaries, and now there's a number of missionaries that have come back, my family that we sent out, our daughter and son-in-law, and of course, Melissa and Rebecca and Sean and Shelly and so many other missionaries that we know, the International Mission Board, you might remember, is the largest mission board in the world. That's who we worked with, my kids work with, and, and uh, Russ. Rusty and Jen Ford. Yes, his name is Rusty Ford. (laughs) They work with the same International Mission Board, and I love to introduce to you missionaries as normal people, but since I couldn't find any, I brought Rusty and Jen along. (laughs) and they served with us in Spain and uh, did then and are doing now a fantastic job. And I wanted you guys to get to know them. Of course, I have a a secret agenda here, of course, that that you'll fall in love with them and the ministry that they're doing there, that as soon as we're allowed to travel again, that one day we will be able to go and work alongside them in that beautiful city of Seville, Spain. Uh, So so hear them as they they share. I want to let the the kids and the family kind of introduce themselves and talk about what life is like in their country. First of all, then I, I have Another question for them. So, so uh, Jen, you want to start out with the kids? Yeah. so the kids are just going to share a little bit. Is this uh, guys.
2: Yeah, so it's a blessing to be here. I just want to let the kids share a little bit first about what life is like for them in Spain. So, this is Julia. She's five, Scarlett is nine, Hudson is 12, and Levi is 13. So, Julia, can you tell us a little bit about what you do in Spain? At pain I go to queue and um, I I'd talk to my friends in Spanish, and my name at pain is Julia. Yeah. So her name in Spanish is not Julia, it's Julia. In Spain, we go to school from 9 to 2 and we eat lunch at 3. After lunch, we take a nap called siesta. And we eat dinner at about 9 or 10, but in the summer at 10 or 11. <laughs> so it's a very late night culture. Uh-uh. And here in the U.S., you have to drive everywhere. But in Spain, everything's close together. For example, you walk to school, you walk to the park, you walk to your friend's house, you walk everywhere. So his name is Hudson Paul, so tell him what they call you in Spain. Pablo. So he's Pablo. So uh, in the States, there are many popular sports that you can play. There's football, basketball, baseball, but in Spain, there's only one popular sport and that's soccer. You either play soccer, talk about soccer, watch soccer. It has to be about soccer. So there are many things that I love about Spain, but one thing that discourages me is that there are very few Christians in Spain. For example, in my school, out of the 800 kids that that are in, uh, only me and two other kids uh, are believers. But then that encourages me to be able to stay true to God, read my Bible, and share the love of God with my friends.
1: Amen. It's an awesome family, and I already know some of what Rusty is going to be sharing with us this morning, talking about our job description as believers. You know, I know what that looks like from the Bible. I know what my job description is as a pastor, uh, but would you guys just share a little bit, it could be either or both, whatever, about what, what it looks like to be a missionary. What, is, what, it, what do you do when you're a missionary in Spain?
2: Yeah, so a lot of people think, what in the world does a missionary do? We're, well, really, what we do is not that much different than what a lot of you all do. Um, we we move there and we try to make friends with people. We go to the parks. Um, I'm friends with our neighbors. And I really just look for opportunities to share Christ, for open doors to share a little bit of the hope of Christ with, with friends and neighbors. So, a lot of times, just like you all, when you invite people to church or go to your neighbor and try to talk to them about Christ, that's exactly what we do. We just try to be extremely intentional. About every day, every time we walk out the door, we pray and we say, God, bring someone into our path that is searching to know more about you. And God almost always that always answers that prayer. Um, and that's really a lot of what we do. And then once we find people that have a little bit of an openness to the things of God, it's really important that we try to get them in some kind of Bible study or a small group or get them into the Word of God, because we found that the Word of God is what changes lives. I can talk to people all day long, but when people begin to study the scriptures, for themselves, God really things come alive for them, and that's when we see
1: lives transformed. Amen. Sounds very missional. Sounds very much like things that we talk about here at New Hope Church, that every opportunity, every conversation, every, every chat with a neighbor is an opportunity to share the love of Christ and be on mission with God, bringing a lost world back into relationship with him. And so I love hearing what you guys do. I, it, it reminds me of what we used to do, and, and it also reminds us here in Cape Coral of what we need and should be doing. So God bless you all. We're gonna now uh, leave everything in Rusty's capable hands. I'll bring you back your, your podium, and you're good to go. Thank you. God bless you.
3: All right, if you have your Bibles, if you can open up to Colossians chapter 1. Some people may ask, though, why Seville, Spain? Out of all the options with the IMB, they gave us tons of different options of places we could go. And Seville was just one of many, many different options. So we were praying, and we'd, we'd been working in the church world here in the U.S. for 10 years at two different churches, but we had never planted a church before. And obviously, we'd never planted a church overseas. So we knew what we didn't know. We knew we didn't know much. And we needed somebody. I knew that I was, I, I was a Timothy looking for a Paul, somebody who could pour into me, somebody who could pour into us as a family love on us, but at the same time, teach us how can we reach people for Christ? So we found the most capable family, and that was David and Chanel, Acton. They'd been on the field at that point for probably 18 years or so. I don't remember how many years. And we just saw them. They were planting churches when nobody else was planting churches in Spain. Their family, some family structures that are in ministry tend to break apart, Uh, Their kids go wild and things like that, but their family was all unified. Their family did ministry together as a family. You guys have probably seen them do that here, where the whole family jumps on board. We wanted that for our family. So that's why we ended up in Seville, Spain, so we could work with uh, David and Chanel. And it was the biggest blessing of our life. And so that's why we're here uh, this week, just to hang out with them and continue to let them pour into us. So in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to get started. But I want to ask you guys, imagine for a moment that you're getting ready to start a brand new job. You're going in for that interview and you're talking to the boss in the sit down. What's the most important thing that you want to know before you sign on the dotted line? I want you guys to holler out at me. What's the most important thing you want to know before you sign up for this job? Just holler out. Okay. The money. Some people say the money is the most important because if the money ain't right, there is no way I'm taking this job. All right. Money. What else? Yeah, do I, okay, what do I have to wear? Do I have to wear a suit? All right, what else? Say it again. Are you Christian, Christian? okay? So there's lots of things that we want to ask, but for me, I think the most important thing we need to ask is what is the job description? What do I have to do? Because imagine for a second that they tell me I'll be making at this job 300,000 a year, to me, that's a little bit more, a tad bit more than what I make with the IMB right now. So, I mean, we make really good money, but, you know, it's just a little more than that. So uh, that'd be a lot of money. But if they tell me, Rusty, the job that you're going to do is very dangerous and the chance of you living beyond the first year is very slim, $300,000 does not mean much. If they tell me you get tons of vacation, Rusty, but you're going to die or what you're doing is illegal and you'll probably end up in jail, it doesn't mean much. So I want to know... What is the job description? What do I have to do in order to be successful in this field? I think the exact same thing happens uh, in our Christian life. I want to know, God, what is my job description? As a follower of Jesus, what do you want me to do? What, uh, how can I make you happy? Because I think as Christians, that's our number one goal in life. It should be our number one goal, is to make Jesus happy. You know, just honor God in everything that we do. So we need to make sure that we're doing that. And let me tell you some good news. Now, right now, there's some people in here that are, I'm assuming there's one or two of you guys that are retired. Am I right? A couple of you guys are retired. There's others that may be unemployed, maybe looking for work, and there's others of you guys who are working right now. But with your spiritual job that you have, if you're a follower of Christ, I have good news for you. If you still have air in your lungs, you can never retire. From this job, that could be good or bad news for some. You can't retire. Another thing, you can't be laid off. You always have a full-time job as long as there's air in your lungs. God still wants to use you to fulfill His job. So in uh, Colossians chapter one verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine, let's read the uh, the scripture and see what does God have for us this morning. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So I love how Paul starts off. And when he talks about our job description, the first thing he looks at, the very beginning of verse 28, uh, you'll see on the next slide, is he said, we tell others about Christ. Uh, So Paul is not talking about a specific religion. Paul isn't even talking about a specific church, even though this is an amazing church. He's not even promoting a specific church. What Paul says is, everything I want to talk to you guys about all has to do with Jesus. It's only Jesus. Let's focus in on Jesus. We see that also in 1 Corinthians 1.23, where he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. So Paul told the church in Corinth the same thing he's telling the church here in Colossae, and that is the most important message I have for you guys, the foundation of everything I'm about to tell you about your job description is all based on Jesus. So the foundation of our job as Christians has to be Jesus. Now, many of you guys know, as you watch TV and you flip around to some of the religious channels, there's things that Pastor David or myself, we could be preaching that would fill up a couple more seats. Am I right? There's things that people like to hear better than the gospel. Because remember here, he's telling us that uh, it's foolishness to the Gentiles. So whenever you're preaching the gospel, it's foolishness to many people. But is there another message that sets people free? Is there another message that gives hope? You know, right now, there's so many hopeless people. You know, with COVID and everything else, we we thought, I don't know about you guys, but in Spain, I actually thought COVID, when it first hit, because it hit us before you guys, I thought this whole COVID thing would be over in about two or three months. And I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. After the first year of this going on and on and on, I'm starting to think, is this ever going to end? You know, a lot of people are thinking the same thing. So there's a lot of hopeless people. There's no other place you can find hope other than the gospel of Jesus. There's no other hope for us. So the reason we preach Jesus is because it's the only message worth worth preaching. If we continue on in verse 28, he says, So we tell others about Christ. That's our foundation. And then he says, Warning everyone. Let me ask you a question. Uh, I need you guys to holler out at me again. When do you give somebody a warning? Before it happens. Before it happens, okay? Somebody also hollered, when there's a danger to come. So I think Jimmy's right on. Before something happens, if there's a danger coming on, you want to holler at everybody, warning, something bad's about to happen. Paul's saying the same thing about the gospel. He said, we tell others about Christ, warning everyone. He's saying that we need to make sure that we're telling people that there's a danger to come. If you don't come to Jesus, there's a danger to come. Now, who can tell me the word gospel, what does that mean, the word gospel? good news. But the good news, a lot of time, is not so good unless somebody first understands the bad news. Imagine you guys are going in uh, tomorrow, Monday morning, and you're meeting with a doctor for the first time. You're a new patient. You walk in. He does blood work, x-rays, everything else. And then you sit down with him, and you're all excited because you feel great. And the doctor says, by the way, this Friday, we'll start your chemo and radiation treatments. What would be your response? It'd be total shocked. My, my thing, I would respond is, Doctor, I think you're looking at somebody else's chart. I'm a new patient. I feel great. There's no way I'm starting <laughs> chemo and radiation because I don't have cancer. But then the doctor sits down and says, Rusty, let me, let me show you your chart. And he shows me all my blood work. And he shows me my x-rays. And he can show me different kinds of uh, cysts and different things in my body. And he says, that's why we're starting chemo and radiation this Friday. Once he shows me that, it's a whole lot easier for me to say, okay, let's start chemo and radiation, right? Because I've heard the diagnosis. It's the same thing whenever we tell people about Jesus. Sometimes we tell people, uh, Jesus died on the cross and he wants to be the king of your life. He wants to dictate everything you do. And the person responds, well, Rusty, that that sounds okay for you, but for me, things are good in my life. I'm actually happily married. I have a couple of good kids. Uh, I'm making really good money. I don't really think I need that. They don't see the need. But then you talk with them and you say, well, let me share with you. You know, every single one of us make mistakes in life. And those mistakes, the Bible calls those mistakes sin. It's something that disappoints God. And the Bible says that all it takes is one sin, and it separates us from a relationship with Jesus. And if, if that's the reason that Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die just to prove he could do it. He died because he loves you. And he wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You know, when you explain it that way to somebody, it's a whole lot easier for them to respond and receive Jesus because they understand the bad news. They understand their need for a Savior. When you're swimming in the pool and somebody throws out the preserver to you and tries to save you, you don't, you're not going to grab onto it because you're swimming laps. But if you're there and you realize you're drowning, you're a lot more likely to grab a hold of the preserver. So let's make sure that as we're out there that we're warning others. So Jesus is the foundation... But he's the foundation of our evangelism. The first thing in our job description as believers, every single one of us, is evangelism. We're supposed to be out there telling people about Jesus, warning them about the danger to come. Let's keep going in verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. So Paul already said... That the foundation of our job is Jesus, and that we should be evangelizing. And now he tells us that we should be teaching and discipling new believers. Jesus is the foundation of our evangelism and our discipleship. Everything that we're doing, he's the foundation. Discipleship is not something that just happens in a six-week study. It doesn't just happen overnight. How many of you guys uh, are parents? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you have been able to get those kids, because I have four, I need to figure out a plan, how many of you guys have been able to successfully get those kids out of your house? Raise your hand. Okay, this is good, this is good. All right, so you guys who have been able to get them out of your house, if you haven't been able to get them out of your house, I don't want to hear from you, because you're in the same situation as me right now, and it's bad sometimes. All right, but the rest of you guys who've been able to get them out of the house, tell me in just one or two words, holler out, what is... Successful parenting, in your mind. Tough love. love, Okay, that's good. Who else? Okay, that they become Christians. Who else? Understanding, Understanding, okay. Loving, Loving, okay. Let me ask you this. If, If somebody were to say, in a Christian environment, or even in a secular environment, that just participating and the making of the baby is success would you agree now, you you know there there's guys who participate in all kinds of children and they've got them all and they don't even know some of them exist but that's not success is it success is spending time with your children and not just spending time with them it's teaching them right from wrong it's teaching them good hygiene healthy eating habits money management There's lots of different things you have to do. My oldest son is 13 years old. I have spent 13 years with this kid, and I feel like I still have a long way to go. So if we notice, parenting, and some of you guys who have gotten your kids out of the house, do you still parent them? Yeah, you still love on them. You're still teaching them things. So parenting, all of us would say probably, parenting is a lifelong process. Isn't it? But sometimes we tend to act as if discipleship is a quick process. You know, we just we go through a six-week study with somebody, and we just throw them out of the nest, and they're on their own. I want you guys to see that when the, Bible uses, uh, the Bible uses two big words. One is justification. Justification just means that you're, you have a right standing with God. That happens in an instant, doesn't it? As soon as you receive Jesus and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to forgive you of everything and be the Lord of your life, in that moment, in that instant, you are justified before God. But there's also another bigger word, sanctification. And sanctification starts the moment you're justified, and how long does it last? (laughs) Until you die. It's a lifelong process as well. I want us to see that whenever we're looking at evangelism, but also discipleship, it's a job that every single one of us have, and it's not a short process. We need to be pouring into people over and over again. So generally, most churches are just like most of us, where we're generally good at one or the other, where we say, man, Rusty, I am great at discipleship. I mean, that's my gifting. That's where I'm really, really good evangelism. Not my thing. Somebody else can do it. Or vice versa. But Paul is laying out a job description of both and. He's saying we have to be focused on both of these areas at the same time, every single one of us, uh, in order to be doing what God has called us to do. So Christ is the foundation of our evangelism and our discipleship. And Paul wants us to be focused on both of those. Some of us look at missionaries and we say, that's a great job description for you, Rusty evangelism and discipleship. Good luck. You know what? We're going we're gonna to continue to give money through Lottie Moon, and we're going to continue to even pray for you because you're doing a great job. Or we look at our pastors, and we say, man, that's great for them. Let's hope that they do it. You know, I used to have that happen to me all the time when I was in the pastorate uh, here in the States. Uh, church members would call me because somebody was always in the hospital. Rusty, can you visit my cousin? Can you visit my neighbor who's in the hospital and tell them about Jesus? My first question was always this. Have you shared Jesus with them yet? If their answer is no, I say, I would love to, because I love telling people about Jesus. But I don't want to steal your job. Why don't you share with them first, and then I'll come in. Now, let me ask you a question. You've got a neighbor, a mom, a sister, whoever's in the hospital, and who are they going to be more receptive to? Somebody that they know follows Jesus somebody they've seen the authentic life, that'd be you? Or is it some preacher guy they've never even met before that shows up and says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Who are they going to be more receptive to? They're going to be more receptive to you. Yeah. So I want to encourage you guys. God has given you guys, sometimes we use the word responsibility, but I say it's a responsibility and a privilege to tell somebody about Jesus. Sometimes we look at our kids and we say, Man, that youth pastor, man, he better get things together because my kid's start to walk astray. Or our Sunday school teachers. But parents, the first job to disciple the kids falls on you. It's your job to be discipling your kids. Obviously, your church wants to be there to help and support, but the job falls on you. You know, if you're here and you say, Rusty, that sounds great. I'd like to do that, but I'm not great in this area or that area. I guarantee there's lots of people in this church that are good at discipleship or they are good at evangelism. Imagine your secular job, your main job description, you're not that great at. You recognize it. Maybe other coworkers even recognize you're not that great. Are you going to continue walking in that that manner where you're just okay at your job or you're the worst person on staff, or are you going to look for somebody to pour into you to give you some additional training? I would hope that you would look for some additional training. Look for some YouTube videos, whatever, whatever you can do to find out how I can be better equipped. The same thing in the Christian life. If you need extra training, man, come to Pastor David and say, I need extra training. Could you help me or could you point me in the right direction? Because I need extra training in this area. Let's look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So according to just this verse, how do we honor Christ as Lord? Can somebody tell me, how do you honor Christ as Lord according to this verse? Telling people about him. him. Being prepared. Be Be aware. You know, it's very clear that it's not just in Colossians. First Peter, all over the place. The Bible's telling us that as believers, if you have a hope in Christ, if Christ has transformed your life, you need to be prepared to tell others about him. But it also lays out, because some of us, like whenever I first got saved, I would love to tell everybody about Jesus. And, you know, people would shut their door, like you could just tell on their face, they didn't want to hear about him. I was kicking in every single door and telling people about Jesus. Is that helpful? No, it's not helpful because the the verse here says, but do so with gentleness and respect and love. So we need to continue to be looking for those opportunities, always ready, but he also tells us how to do it, gentleness, love, respect, and kindness. So we need to prepare ourselves to do the work that God has called us to do. Do you guys remember the first time when you first received Christ? How many of you, now it could have been a year ago, or it could have been 50 years ago, how many of you guys can actually remember receiving Christ uh, and living for Christ your first four or five months? Raise your hand if you can remember that. Okay, some of us can. You know, you were probably not the most liked person initially. Let me tell you why. When you first came to know Christ, can you remember I mean, your love for Jesus, I mean, you wanted, you were always in the scriptures. And you were reading, and the reason you were reading, it wasn't just to have knowledge. You wanted to know Jesus more. And you were wanting to tell everybody about Jesus. I mean, you were talking to your friends, you were talking to your neighbors. You wanted everybody to know about this Jesus that changed your life. And you were in church all the time because you wanted to go to Bible studies, small groups. Man, you were excited. But sadly, what happens... To a lot of believers, sometimes it takes three to six months, sometimes it takes several years. Some of them still read the scriptures, but sometimes they're reading it just out of habit. I know I have to read the scriptures today, let me get it read. They're no longer searching for Jesus in the scriptures. They've kind of lost the passion. They're no longer telling people because all their friends have told them, quit telling them about Jesus. And they finally quit telling people about Jesus. You lost the passion for Jesus. Let me ask you this. If that's you right now, if you've changed, you remember that first love, and you begin to lose it, I want to challenge you this morning. If you begin to grow cold, man, go back to Jesus and tell him, give me that love back because God wants you to be passionate about him. He wants you to be just as passionate as you were your first six months. He wants you to have that passion once again in your life, and the Holy Spirit will give it back to you if you want it. I've only met a few select people that have kept that passion their whole lives. A guy in my last church, we used to have a thing called Tuesday Night Visitation. We'd go out and knock on doors. This guy was 80-something years old, and he was a tobacco farmer, and he was the kind that, he was 80-something years old, and he would squeeze your hand, and it would literally hurt your hand, and, uh, and this guy would say, Rusty, I never fell out of love with Jesus. He said, I just love telling people about Jesus. And he'd been a Christian for like 50 years. If you still don't have that this morning, go back to King Jesus and beg him once again, give me back that passion. Okay, so we talked about the job description. It's, what's the foundation? Jesus Christ. What's the main two jobs that each of us have? Okay, discipleship and evangelism. So you may say, well, Rusty, how can I do it? Because that's a big job. Let's look at verse 29 and we'll see. Paul says, That's why I work and I struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So Paul knows the reason he's doing what he's doing, and it encourages him to work and struggle hard for King Jesus. He says, man, I work and I struggle so hard. For Paul serving Jesus wasn't something he did on Sunday morning by preaching or teaching a Sunday school class. It wasn't just a hobby that he was invested in a few times a week. It was something that he dedicated his whole life to because he wanted others to know about Jesus. Now, who can tell me, Paul right now, as he's writing Colossians, where is he? Where is he at right now writing the letter? Okay, so he's in jail right now writing a letter. Now, to me, uh, this was before they started diagnosing everybody with all kinds of mental illness. But I assume Paul had some kind of mental illness. Let me tell you why. So Paul, he's in jail for telling other people about Jesus. And now what's he keep talking about? Jesus. So this guy obviously doesn't want to get out of jail. I mean, he, he obviously has OCD. I mean, he's just focused on Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Tell me some other things that Paul went through. So he's in jail. He's been in jail several times. What are some other things that Paul went through in his life? Negative things for preaching about Jesus. Holler him out. Huh? He was stoned. So when he was stoned, what was crazy is they thought he was dead. When he woke back up, now he didn't get stoned like some preachers nowadays. I mean, he got stoned with rocks, okay? So he got stoned. When he woke back up, he goes back into the same city again. He didn't take the hint. They didn't want him in there. Okay, he got stoned. What else? flogged, shipwrecked, shipwrecked, and even bitten by a snake. So this guy went through everything. So it'd be easy for you and I this morning to say about Paul, the reason he was able to do all this is because he's a super Christian. He has something, obviously, that you and I do not have. So that's why Paul was able to do it. Or you look at Pastor David or other believers, and you see that they have this ability, but it's something that they have that we don't have. Well, Paul, what's amazing here, is Paul tells us how he was able to do it. And we find out, is it a superhero power that he has or what is it? So according to this verse, where does Paul get the power to evangelize and to disciple? Where does he get it? Huh? From Jesus. Okay. So in this verse, he says, according to Christ's mighty power is where he gets it. This is extremely encouraging for any believer that reads this, because if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the same mighty power that Paul had, that David has, that any other believer has. You have it, and you have access to it if you decide to use it. Now, sadly, some of us, we choose to think about and use our own power. We tap into our own power source. And sometimes we get drained, sometimes we don't have the power, and we're not able to do it. But if you tap into this power, this is God-sized power. If you want to do God-sized things, you have to tap into God-sized power. Now, the great thing about this verse is Paul doesn't just say that in Christ's power. He says in Christ's mighty power. I love that, that Christ has mighty power in each of us, are able to tap into it anytime we choose to. Let me ask you guys a question. At your job every single year, you probably had something just like I do in my job where it was a job evaluation. Now, this job evaluation would sometimes get you a raise. Some of you guys saw the door because of it. All right, so the job evaluation, so you guys, some of us had positive uh, uh, things when we think about it, some negative. All right, but tonight, this morning, I want us to think about a job evaluation. We've seen the job description that God has given us. I want, if you're a believer here this morning, I want you to evaluate yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit in just a second to evaluate you and say, have I been doing the job that you assigned me? Remember we talked earlier that you can't retire from this job. You can't take time off. So maybe... The Holy Spirit's going to tell you, you know what? You've been taking some time off. You retire from this job. You're not really focusing on the evangelism aspect or the discipleship aspect. What is it that you're not doing? Talk with the Holy Spirit. And the great thing about a job evaluation is a lot of time, if you have a good boss, your good boss isn't doing it to beat you down. Your good boss is doing it because he wants to see you succeed in your job. He wants to encourage you, man, you can do better in this area. Let's do it together. Let me tell you something good about Jesus. So Jesus, unlike any other boss you've ever had, is he gives you a job, and he also tells us the reason we have the job, to present others perfect in Christ. You ever had a boss tell you, oh, the reason you're doing it is because I said so? Jesus doesn't do that. He could. He could say because I said so, but he doesn't. He gives you the reason for the job. And let me tell you the difference between Jesus and any other boss. He also gives you the power to do it. No other boss... Sets you up, gives you the reason, and then also gives you the strength to do it. Jesus has even given you the strength to do it. That means he leaves us without excuse. So as you're looking at your job evaluation today, and you're wrestling with the Holy Spirit, allow him to speak to you. Or maybe, so those are for the believers in here. Maybe you're not a believer this morning. You've heard about the job description. You've heard the reason that we need Jesus. Because the Bible says that every one of us are separated from God Because of bad decisions that we've all made. Whether it's one decision or many decisions, even one separates you from Jesus. And the great news is, Jesus died on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could be set free from your sins, so that you could have hope in a hopeless world. That's what Jesus has for you today. So for the believer, wrestle with the Holy Spirit about your job evaluation. If you're not yet a believer... Ask yourself that question. Am I ready today to make that step to follow Jesus and to ask him to forgive me my sins so that I can live with him? Let me pray for you. God, we just thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you clearly lay out for us in Scripture, in many different uh, books of the Bible, what our job description is. God, you tell us the reason for it. And you also give us the power to do it. God, you are so good. Help us to honor you in how we live. And for those who have not yet made a decision for you, maybe they're religious people, maybe they've been in church their whole life, maybe they've even been baptized, but they've never made you the Lord and Savior of their life. God, I pray that this morning may be the day that they say, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus. In your name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapechoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.